Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that is dedicated to the resistance against the growing movement seeking to force Christianity on everyone in America using the power of government. It can be hard to believe sometimes that there are Americans who have such an extreme animosity to freedom of religion. Surely, we can be tempted to think there's just some kind of misunderstanding. Christian nationalists couldn't really want to overthrow American democracy and replace it with a Christian dictatorship under which everybody is forced to obey the harsh laws of biblical literalist Christianity. It seems unreal, like something out of a dystopian young adult novel. But then we hear the Christian nationalists speak, and the sinister reality of their plan is made clear. When Christian nationalists talk about their agenda, the totalitarian ambitions of Christian nationalism are unambiguous. Consider the words of the following Christian nationalist who declared on YouTube that it's not enough for people to just be required to believe in the Christian God. No, when she calls herself a Christian nationalist, it's because she believes that everyone in America must live under the authority of Christianity and must conform to the unforgiving rules of Christian nationalism for their entire lives. What does Christian nationalism mean, and do we fit that category? I've defined this for myself. I've put some thought into it, and this is how I'm defining it. Acknowledging the truth that the entire nation is under the authority of Christ and ought to be treated that way. If that's the definition that we can use for Christian nationalism, I'm on board. And I'm a Christian nationalist. If they're willing to let us define it or they're willing to define it the same way we are and say it means that everyone and everything in this nation is under the authority of Christ and ought to be treated that way, then yes, that's what we as Christians believe is true. And if that means that we're Christian nationalists, then we're Christian nationalists. I also think we have to be careful not to make this something squishy. Like, okay, I'm a Christian nationalist, and that means that, like, oh, I think Christian principles are a good thing, and, like, church is cool, you know? Like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, even just saying, I believe our nation was founded on Christian principles, if that's all it means to be a Christian nationalist, does it even mean anything? Like, is there a reason why we should still be? Like, are, are you arguing for that, that we should still be based on on? Christian principles? Simply saying, I believe our nation, our founding fathers were Christians or mostly Christians, you know, look at our national anthem, you know, look at our, you know, dollar bill. That's not enough. That's not saying anything, right? That's not even saying, it's not even making the argument that that should stay strong even to today. Someone could come against that and say, okay, cool, fine, we were, we were, our country was created on Christian principles, or our, our country was created by Christian men, who cares? And what's our argument against that, right? So I feel like we have to be really careful to not be weak about this and not say, oh, it's just kind of, Christian principles are good, like, isn't that great, we should all go to church, you know? Or... 
I, or to say I'm a Christian nationalist because I think everyone should be allowed to worship God. I don't think that's strong enough. I think we have to actually come forward and say, I'm under the authority of Christ. You're under the authority of Christ. Unbelievers are under the authority of Christ. And that's how we ought to live our entire lives. Like, that's true. That we need to stop pretending that you are not under the authority of Christ. I am because I'm a Christian, but you're not because you're an atheist. No. The truth is that we are all under the authority of Christ. This Christian nationalism is the opposite of democracy. In a democracy, people have the freedom not just to choose who will represent them in government, but even more importantly, people have the freedom in democracy to choose how to live their own lives within a parameter of laws that are democratically established. Well, who established the harsh laws of Christianity? Honestly, nobody really knows the answer to that question. Nobody knows who wrote the Christian Bible. Nobody knows the names of all the people who agreed to edit that Bible together from its source documents. What we do know is that there was no democratic vote to establish the laws of Christianity. There were no elections of representatives to meet in a fair and open council. The people who wrote the later parts of the Christian Bible and the people who edited it together were people who gained power through rough-and-ready church politics— the earlier parts of the Christian Bible are shrouded in even greater mystery. But nowhere in any of the process was there a free and open vote to determine what the rules of Christianity would be. It was the people in charge who made those decisions for everybody else. The ruthless undemocratic nature of Christian politics is reflected in the authoritarian language Christians use to describe the spirit that they worship. They give their God the title King and Lord, not President, not Senator, not Representative. It's a feudal system. It's a totalitarian system of absolute kingship absolute rule, where those who have power make the rules and everyone else has to follow them. That's what Christian nationalism seeks to impose on us all, not just about religion either, but using religion as a tool, forcing us to all practice the religion of Christianity and then forcing us to accept what Christian leaders want to do in the name of that religion. Maybe you still can't believe it. It seems too far to say that Christian nationalists want to force Christianity on us all. Well, listen to the words that Jack Shannon, the rector of St. Athanasius Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, spoke from the pulpit just last week. Shannon had heard people's concerns about the violence of Christian nationalism, and he felt called to respond. But instead of reassuring people, 
the priest stood before his congregation and issued a warning to Americans, confirming our worst fears about the Christian nationalist agenda. We're just going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to convert uh, your children, your citizenry, and take your crowns. That's what Christianity will do. That's what Christian nationalism is going to do. Faith is powerful. It endures persecution. It has more stamina than you have. It puts armies to flight. It raises the dead, and it conquers kingdoms and nations. And we are coming for yours. The Christian nationalists are claiming this nation for Christ. It's always been Christ. It belongs to him and not to you. So bend your knee, kiss the sun, or perish in the way. You heard that right. This priest just warned from his pulpit that if you do not bend your knee to Christian nationalism, you will, quote, perish in the way, unquote. Yes, that is a threat of violence. You know, there's a whole lot to listen to in this little selection, like the idea that, you know, Christianity can raise people from the dead. That's kind of an extravagant claim. Um, But take a look at the military language here. They're talking about conquering nations, about putting armies to flight. And, you know... Everybody can slip into uh, the wartime metaphor a little bit here and there. We're going to fight for what's right. We're going to fight for a minimum wage. We all know that that doesn't mean that we're going to take out a gun and shoot people for a, a better minimum wage. But in the language of Christian nationalists, there's something else going on. Because the language of fighting, of battle of armies, of war, of conquering, and forcing other people into subjugation, forcing other people to bend their knees to Christianity. This language is so thick in the speeches of Christian nationalists that you can't ignore it. And they are telling you what they are going to do. Do you remember back in the day when people reacted back in 2016 to what Donald Trump was saying? And they said, oh, he's just being extravagant. He's just being a clown. You can't take him seriously. We know now that Donald Trump actually was telling us exactly what he was planning to do. And the Christian nationalists are the same way. And they are telling us, we are coming. Prepare yourself because we're going to take over and we're going to fight to do it. You're going to hear in this um, episode of this podcast today, a lot of that language coming through over and over again. And uh, this phrase really caught me in the speech uh, by this priest. Quote, we are going to continue to convert your children. And I thought about that in terms of, you know, what we were talking about last week. The subject of the podcast was ceremonial deism. These little things like in God we trust 
and um, one nation under God and prayer in schools and prayers at the beginning of Congress and Christian monuments on government lands and all of those kinds of things. And each one of those seems like a little tiny thing. But the idea that each one introduces is that the government is inherently Christian and that the United States is Christian and that everybody agrees on it. That's the implication of ceremonial deism. In God, we trust. Well, we don't all trust in God. 40% of the population is not Christian. One nation under God. Do we all agree that we're all under the Christian God? Lots of Americans don't believe in any gods at all. Some believe in gods that are not named God. And sometimes we try to give those other gods, you know, the idea that they're just another mask of God, to quote Joseph Campbell. You know, that it's all really about God in the end. But, you know, people in their own cultures actually have their own names for things that are actually quite different than the Christian God. And the word God is centered historically, culturally, in Christianity. Well, we have this pastor telling us, this priest in this church telling us that the Christian nationalists are going to continue to convert our children. This is what the Pledge of Allegiance is about. The Pledge of Allegiance is a ritual of Christian nationalism. And there is a reason that Christian nationalists insist upon this ritual being followed. And they're not very nice about it. I'm going to tell you what happened in the last week. Fargo, North Dakota. There were parents uh, at a school district there who pointed out that, you know, having this phrase, one nation under God, is really not inclusive because uh, an increasing amount of the population, and actually it skews really young. The younger you are, the less likely you are to be a Christian. But a really significant part of the population does not believe in God at all, much less in Christian nationalism, the idea that the nation is somehow under God. That's a particular subset of Christianity. And so the Board of Education said, okay, we're going to stop uh, doing the Pledge of Allegiance at our Board of Education meetings. And, you know, here, here's the funny little kicker. They only started doing that back in April. So it's not like it's a long tradition, okay? Someone objected to in introducing this idea of, uh, you know, one nation under God, and the Board of Election voted overwhelmingly to stop this new experiment in Christian nationalism. But then phone calls started to come in from outside of the school district, from across the country, Christian nationalists started calling members of that school board and they started issuing threats. One of the members of that school board was told by a Christian nationalist, you are marked. That's a threat of assassination. That's a voice of Christian nationalism. 
Those of you who want to believe that Christianity is always nice and always peaceful and always loving, I don't think you can put a loving spin on the the threat of assassination because somebody is not enforcing the Pledge of Allegiance. And remember, that's what the Pledge of Allegiance is about. You know, think about this in terms of a relationship. If you are in a relationship that is really good, you don't have to force the other person to say every day that I love you. It's just going to come up. You don't have to have a pledge of relationship every single day. If you're married, you might have your wedding vows, sure, but you don't have to repeat them every single day. When you have to do that to somebody, it's because you're afraid they're not going to obey. They're not going to conform. And you know what? America does not obey and conform to Christianity. Like I said, 40% of the population is non-Christian. That's nearly half. Nearly half. Why are children from those families being forced to recite an oath of allegiance to God every morning in government schools, in public schools? It's because ceremonial deism is not actually a neutral tradition, a harmless historical ritual. It's a tactic of theocratic extremists who want to destroy American democracy. It is a Christian nationalist ritual of people who want to convert our children to Christianity, like that priest from Fort Collins, Colorado said. The Pledge of Allegiance is a tool that Christian nationalists use to try to convert American children to their religion and to do it in government schools. If our children cannot be safe from Christian nationalist extremism in public schools, where can they be safe? Now, I want to go forward to another Christian nationalist who is um, showing us exactly how extreme the Christian nationalist beliefs can be. This is Shane Vaughan. Uh, ceremonial deism, you see, starts with this simple declarations like one nation under God. It quickly expands from there. The one nation under God or the in God we trust, that's just the foot in the door. Uh, Christian nationalists, you see, they don't want to just force public school children to recite a religious oath once per day. They quickly move on from there. Once you have that declaration in the schools, they want to proclaim a Christian theocracy that they're working toward. One in which Christian leaders in government are treated as if they are living gods. And this sounds like something crazy, like I'm talking about the ancient Egyptian pharaohs being worshipped as gods. This is how the Christian nationalists are beginning to talk about their leader. It sounds too crazy to be real, but listen to what Christian nationalist Shane Vaughn has to say on this subject. What is the prophetic seal? 
that Yahweh placed upon Donald Trump and upon his his true people, it is supernatural prosperity and blessings. That's the prophetic seal. The ring of God, when he touches your life, there will be unparalleled blessings that will come into your life that you didn't ask for, you didn't create, you're just anointed for that season, and the evidence of it is on the prosperity of the nation and the people. Donald Trump carries the prophetic seal of the calling of God. He is Joseph. If you are anointed by Yahweh, for a specific plan and purpose, you are a Messiah. Yeshua was the Messiah of mankind, but Donald Trump is the Messiah of America. It's important to clarify a bit of Christian language at this point. When Shane Vaughn is talking about Yeshua, he's just using an alternative version of the name Jesus. He's saying here that Donald Trump is a Messiah, a God on earth in human form, like many Christians believe that Jesus was. Now, Shane Vaughn isn't just some lone wolf coming up with his own kooky religious ideas. Shane Vaughn is the pastor of First Harvest Ministries and Biblical Foundations Institute. That's a Pentecostal church in Waveland, Mississippi. Shane Vaughn has an entire congregation that supports his declaration that Donald Trump is a God ruler on earth. And his church is not alone either. All across America, the belief that Donald Trump has some kind of special supernatural connection to the magical powers of heaven... This is common among Christian nationalists now. Think about what this belief implies, about what a government controlled by Christian nationalists would be like. You may criticize government bureaucracy for moving too slowly with too many meetings, but the positive side of that is that government officials have been given the responsibility of formulating and enacting policies on the basis of scientific evidence and democratic public input. That system is not perfect. Sometimes it's corrupted. But at least there is an ideal of a government that is based in reality and the American people. Christian nationalism, by contrast, follows whatever outlandish ideas fit into its ideological obsessions. Christian nationalists are so determined to believe that Donald Trump is a perfect leader that they are willing to invent prophecies that supposedly come from their God, prophecies that declare Trump to be a God king of America, anointed by the Christian God, and thus beyond question beyond doubt. How can Christian nationalists tell the difference between their prophecies that come from their God and their own fevered fantasies? Well, you know, I don't think that they can, but I don't think that they really try to tell the difference. 
They just believe what they want to believe, even if it makes no logical sense. Even if there is no evidence to justify their new prophecies, their new testament of Trump. A government led by such people will take the country down paths shaped by some really strange religious obsessions. Prophecies reported by people who believe that they are having conversations with gods, with invisible spirits, will be given more weight in a Christian nationalist government than policies developed by professionals who have undertaken career-long careful studies of the challenges that we face. We already know the emotional obsessions that excite Christian nationalists. They have dark fantasies of recreating the slavery of the early history of the United States. They want to force women to stay in the home without opportunities for education or independent professional status. They want to replace public schools and universities with academies of Christian indoctrination, and they want to force all Americans into mandatory worship in the church of Christian nationalism. They want to make it illegal just to be gay. With no scholars left to question the proclamations of Christian nationalist prophets, and with the safeguards of democracy gone, if Christian nationalists get into power, America would be completely, completely subject to the narcissistic whims of the priests who would be put in charge of American government. Christian nationalists have made it plain that their most fervent desire is to see the end of the world. That's how their Bible ends. To see America and every other country on earth consumed in a literal apocalypse is what they want. A literal apocalypse that will end in the death of everybody on earth. And the Christian nationalists believe that they don't need to worry about all that, that they don't need to worry about all of these people being killed, the destruction of all life on the planet, because their God is going to come in with a rapture and take them away off to a fantasy land of perfect happiness, while the rest of us, the rest of America, writhes in pain forever and ever. Don't forget, that's what the Christian nationalists believe is a positive outcome. What could such people do if they gain control of American government, of our nuclear weapons? The same nuclear weapons that Donald Trump was just discovered to have secret, top-secret classified documents that he was holding in his own home. Of course, not all Christians are Christian nationalists. Let's not forget that. So stopping Christian nationalism doesn't mean 
stopping Christianity. The opponents of Christian nationalism are not seeking to force anyone to stop being Christian. If that's what they want to be, fine. Instead, the resistance to Christian nationalism is looking for a level playing field for all Americans, regardless of the attitude that they have about religion. A level playing field in which Christianity is neither promoted nor suppressed by the government. The government and religion just have separate spaces. That's neutral, and it's fair for everybody. Christian nationalism is an extremist ideology that believes that the United States is supposed to be an exclusively Christian nation. Christian nationalists don't want a level playing field. They believe that freedom of religion should only be granted to Christians. The way that they see it, freedom of religion means the freedom to be a Christian. So for the Christian nationalist, Christianity is more important than anything else. When they are given the chance to choose between Christianity and democracy, they sacrifice democracy. They're willing to place freedom on the altar of their religion and slit its throat if they get the feeling that that's what their God wants them to do. So it is that we have the 5th District of Virginia, and we have there the incumbent member of Congress, U.S. Representative Bob Good. And so also we have Josh Throneberg, the Democrat who is challenging Bob Good. Now, Both of these people are Christians. Josh Throneberg, the Democrat, is actually the pastor of a Christian church. The funny thing is that these two Christian candidates for the 5th Congressional District of Virginia, they don't seem to think that God wants the same thing at all. Bob Good wants radical Christian nationalism, whereas Josh Throneberg wants to have respect for LGBTQ rights, wants to take care of climate change, uh, wants to have a woman's right to choose to have an abortion. This tells us an awful lot about what's going on with Christianity in government. This tells us that Christianity is actually, you know, not always the same thing. And so we have uh, Bob Good, who tells us, that the Judeo-Christian values of America are being challenged. They're being threatened. What values of Christianity are being threatened exactly? Well, Bob Good says this, and he said this in a speech on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. Quote, Because the Bible is the source of all truth, containing God's complete revelation of 
all that he wanted us to know. Everything pertaining to this life and next. Let me read that again. Quote, the Bible is the source of all truth containing God's complete revelation of all that he wanted us to know. Everything pertaining to this life and the next. Okay, so here's the idea there is that the only thing you need to know is what you're told in the Bible. It gives you all the knowledge that you need. You know, the funny thing is, though, that Bob Good doesn't seem to follow that. Bob Good wears a suit and tie made by, you know, uh, machines that work with synthetic materials. He promotes his politics on the Internet. He drives a car. And none of those things are in the Bible. Why is Bob Good doing that? Now, <clears throat> another thing that's not in the Bible. If the Bible tells you everything you need to know, well, as much as Christian nationalists like to talk about how the rights that we have as Americans are God-given rights, one thing that's not in the Bible is the Second Amendment. There is no statement in the Bible that says that um, God thinks that people have the right to own guns, to fire guns, to have ammunition, much less to have a machine gun or to have a silencer, a silencer on a gun. A silencer on a gun is used to make sure that when you kill somebody, people have a hard time finding you when you shoot them dead. Bob Good, current U.S. representative of the 5th District in Virginia, is uh, the author of a bill that would make silencers legal. Bob Good thinks that it is a right of all people to not only own guns, but to be able to put silencers on them so that when you kill somebody, your neighbors can't figure out where you were and you can get away from the scene of your crime. And the thing is that Bob Good also says that the Bible is actually everything that we need to know. And the right to have a silencer on the end of your gun is not in the Bible. Now, there are some people who say that the right to bear arms is implicit in the Bible because, yes, the Bible is a very violent, very violent um, book. It has um, the God of the Bible endorsing terrible genocide, uh, the brutal murder of children, dashing little babies up against rocks, slaughtering entire cities filled with people. It's really brutal. And Jesus as well in the New Testament threatens the destruction of entire cities because those cities refused to worship him. Uh, that's something that a lot of Christians like to overlook when they say, oh, you know, Jesus would never have approved of the Christian nationalists. Well, he, he said some pretty extreme and violent things. 
And let's not forget the um, storming of the temple in Jerusalem, where he is depicted in several versions of the Bible as not just turning over tables of moneylenders, but of whipping people there um, as if they were animals. Um, but let's, if we're going to be biblical literalists, if the Bible actually contains all the knowledge that we need to have, as Congressman Bob Good says, let's go ahead and take a look at what the Bible actually says. Because if, if there was a God who wrote the Bible and wanted Americans to get everything that they needed from that, well, he would have put the Second Amendment in, right? There's no Second Amendment. There's no mention of guns. Mary Fairchild, a Christian apologist writer, um, says this about the Bible and the right to bear arms. Quote, obviously, the Bible does not specifically address the issue of gun control since firearms like we use today were not manufactured in ancient times. Unquote. Okay, so let's just stop right there. That pretty much tells you everything that you need to know. If you believe, truly believe that the Bible has everything that you need to know, well, you don't need to know about guns because that's not in the Bible. So get rid of your gun. You can get a sword. You can get a knife. You can get one of those weapons that's like a great big long stick like a pike and it's got the sharp thing at the end. You know, you could even have something creative like, a, you know, a flail or nunchucks if you really want to go for it. Get, you know, get a bow and arrow. But if you are a biblical literalist who thinks that the Bible tells you everything you need to know, you don't have the right to bear guns. You have the right to bear arms, but you better show up with a sword or something like that and not a gun if you really believe that the Bible tells you everything that you need to know. And you know, if you don't really believe that, Christian nationalists, hmm, if you don't really believe that actually you have to follow the Bible... Maybe you want to stop telling everybody else in America what to do because you say this Bible verse says so. You're either in or you're out. You either believe that there's this invisible God that wrote everything down and it's all perfect. And even though it doesn't even acknowledge that America exists, it somehow applies to America. You either believe that or you don't. And if you believe it, there's no guns in there, and there's no right to bear guns. Pick up a sword. Don't pick up a gun. Get rid of your gun, Christian nationalists. Which side are you on? The Second Amendment is never mentioned in the Christian Bible. According to Congressman Bob Good's standard, Christians should not own guns. Well, in that same speech on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives, Bob Good celebrated, quote, a man named Jesus, born 2,000 years ago, who had no formal education, never traveled more than a few miles from his hometown, never held public office, unquote. Okay, right there. <clears throat> Christian nationalism unravels if you look at it, if you think about it. 
Now, I understand that's not how Christian nationalists work. They don't really think things through logically. For them, Christian nationalism is kind of a feeling, and you say a bunch of stuff that has feelings from the Bible without thinking about what they actually mean. Because here is a guy standing who has been elected to public office. And he's trying to tell us what a fantastic individual Jesus was. You know all that, what would Jesus do? And he's saying, Jesus never, never traveled. Jesus never held public office. Well, Bob Good spends all of this time talking about Christian values. But he's not following in the example of Jesus here. He's traveling far from his home, miles and miles and miles, in order to hold public office, in order to stand himself up as some kind of guy who knows what Jesus wants everybody to do. Jesus wants women to do this. Jesus wants African-Americans to stop being uppity. Jesus wants to ban being gay. Jesus wants to force everybody to be a Christian, Bob Good tells us. But here, Bob Good can't even follow Jesus' own example, because like Bob Good just said, Jesus never held public office. You know, if you're a Christian nationalist who, like Bob Good, believes that the Christian Bible tells you everything that you need to know in the form of literal truths, and that Jesus Christ was the perfect person who is the example that everybody should follow, then you should not hold public office. A Christian nationalist who runs for a position in the U.S. government is a hypocrite. So Bob Good, if you really believe all that stuff you say about Christian values, you should resign right now. Or you should acknowledge that you've changed your mind to suit your convenience and your own personal ambitions. It doesn't have anything to do with Christian values. You behave, Bob Good, as if the Christian Bible does not tell you everything that you need to know. The Christian Bible, in fact, never talks about voting. Bob Good says that the Christian Bible tells you everything that you need to know, but it never tells you how to register to vote. So if you're a Christian who believes in the literal truth of the Bible and that the Bible tells you everything you need to know, you should not register to vote. You're a Christian nationalist sinner if you are registering to vote. Don't vote. If you're a Bible-believing Christian nationalist, like Bob Good, you must never, ever register to vote. Of course, that's if you're being sensible, rational, reasonable, logical. If you're not just giving us a Bible word salad. Oh, but it goes far beyond the Bible now, doesn't it? Because Christian nationalism, it turns out, isn't just about what the Bible says. Actually, these Christian values appear to be evolving. Remember Shane Vaughn and how he talked about this new prophetic vision that Donald Trump is the Messiah of America? Hey, boy, that is never in the Bible. I mean, I've never heard the book of Trump, uh, the Trump Bible. But Christian nationalists 
are coming up with their own new prophecies. And this is not just some kind of, you know, flight of fancy, not some uh, fancy, you know, uh, jumbling about with words. It's not um, a metaphor. They're actually bringing out new prophecies that they claim are a new testament of Christian nationalism. So um, we've talked before about Doug Mastriano. Doug Mastriano is the Republican candidate for the governor of Pennsylvania, and he has become infamous for hiring the Christian nationalist Andrew Torba, who runs a Nazi social media platform, Gab. I mean, this is an actual Nazi social media platform where they uh, spread anti-Semitism and white supremacy and all of that Nazi stuff. And this guy is a campaign um, employee of Doug Mastriano, the Republican candidate for governor of Pennsylvania. The thing is that Mastriano's extremist Christian nationalist connections are not just limited to Andrew Torba. No, Another Christian nationalist associated with the Doug Mastriano campaign is Julie Green of Julie Green Ministries. And boy, is she a piece of work. Julie Green claims that she is a prophet, a prophet who speaks for the Christian God. Yeah, you want to talk to God? Talk to Julie Green. That's what she says. She doesn't mean this in a metaphorical sense. Every few days, Julie Green publishes a new prophecy that she says is actually the words of the Christian God. What does this have to do with Doug Mastriano's campaign for governor? Well, Doug Mastriano, in his campaign to become the new governor of Pennsylvania, he's campaigned with Julie Green by his side over and over again. And he's not only seeking her support, Doug Mastriano has in public been giving his support to her, to Julie Green. In return for her endorsement of his candidacy, um, he is encouraging his followers to heed her prophecies. So yeah, the Republican candidate for the governor of Pennsylvania is encouraging his followers to believe that Julie Green is the mouth of the Christian God giving new prophecies in a New Testament of Christian nationalism. Right. So what does the Christian God have to say, according to Julie Green? Well, a few days ago, Julie Green announced that she had received a new prophecy, one declaring that her God is a great big fan of Christian nationalism. Nationalist. This word will be in your news for a surprising reason. I told you, my children, an uprising has begun and it will destroy your enemy's chokehold on this nation, saith the Lord. You just heard it straight from the lips of Julie Green. An uprising has begun to destroy the enemies of the Christian God in America. According to Julie Green's prophecy, 
the Christian God endorses this uprising of Christian nationalists that began last week when Ricky Walter Schiffer attempted to kill FBI agents at an FBI field office in Cincinnati. According to Green's prophecy, the Christian God wants there to be a new civil war in the United States. Another prophecy from Julie Green, which you're about to hear spoken by one of Green's followers, someone named Melissa Guzman, declares that Donald Trump is the rightful president right now, and that Joe Biden is not actually president at all, and that the United States belongs not to the American people, but to the Christian God. Your enemies tried everything they could think of, but he is still standing, fighting, and pursuing all of them. This country is still fighting for him and the truth. Who is this rightful president? My David in the hour? Donald J. Trump. And he is making a comeback. And it is bigger than you realized. And it is bigger than you realized, enemies of Almighty God. You can't fight and win against who is in him. He is unstoppable. Yes, to you. And he is coming for all of you. Plans have been drawn up and they are headed to victory lane and a big victory it will be. A shaking is brewing in the House of Representatives. Yes, a great divide. Chaos will erupt. Lies? Yes, several will be unearthed. They thought they could hide their disgusting acts against this nation and get away with it. To Nancy, all who are with you on the side of the blue and some in the red, the curtains are being pulled back. Evidence will shake you all to your core. You can't fix this. Video and audio evidence will not be suppressed by you. No, my hand is moving and you can't stop me. Justice will be served. All of you should be afraid of what is coming to you in DC. You know something is happening, but you don't know when or how to stop it. You will try to avoid this at all costs, but it will not work. I have spoken your destruction. Your seed time and harvest are now. You can't hide nor let others fall for you. You will still try, but fear will grip you. The more you head in the direction you are currently going, the more failure and defeat will be in your future. You chose the wrong side, and soon you will see that. Hardy. This name you will hear in the news. Be looking for this, my children, and know great is the judgment that is coming to your enemies. Your rightful president and government are almost at the finish line. My children, know that this is my nation, the United States of America. You heard it. Here Julie Green is issuing a threat to Nancy Pelosi a declaration that she will soon be destroyed, a warning that Nancy Pelosi should be afraid. Julie Green does this routinely. She threatens America's leaders with violence in this way, claiming always to be speaking in the name of the Christian God. Now, here's another one 
that she said earlier. Uh, At the end of last year, there's no audio recording of this one. She said, claiming to speak for God, quote, Chuck Schumer, your story is similar to that of Nancy, Adam, Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney, and Obama. You are all the same, evil to the core. And you all sold your souls to China and to the devil himself. You will all pay with your lives, but not before your judgments, and you will lose everything you hold dear to you. You have received your indictments, and you know your days are numbered here on this earth. None of you will enjoy your last days. My mighty army comes for you to remove you from your places of power and where you sleep. These are the last days of Haman. You wanted death for my nation and my children, but instead you will reap harvest through, though not before, you see your nightmares come to pass. My son will return and be put back in his rightful seat. You will all pay with your lives and your plans will not succeed. I, the great I am, pass judgment and it is time for you to reap all you have sown and at one time. Unquote. Wow. There we are again with that militaristic language. The mighty army that God is sending to Washington, D.C., My goodness, where did those people on January 6th, 2021 get the idea that they should storm the Capitol? There's really no mystery about it. Christian nationalist preachers across America, like Julie Green, were whipping them on. They were urging them forward. They were inciting violence and insurrection against the United States government. And so far, for that incitement, to treasonous, violent rebellion that ended in death and nearly ended American democracy. They are not being held responsible. That's rather curious, isn't it? That's what we call Christian privilege. Well, last week, Julie Green had another prophecy that she issued, telling her followers that they should disregard the fact and to believe what she says instead. And Julie Green once again told her followers to fight. For I, the Lord, this day am telling my children to fight the good fight of faith. It is always a fight you will win. It doesn't matter how things appear. It doesn't matter what your feelings are telling you. It only matters what my word says. It is a dangerous leader who can convince followers to disregard their own feelings like this, to ignore what their own senses are telling them, to put aside all of their doubts, all of their own thoughts in favor of their leader's commands. The prophet Julie Green says, that it's the voice of the Christian God who is commanding her followers to commit acts of violence. She says that her lips are merely a conduit, just speaking the divine truth of the word of the Christian 
God. But that word we all know is not the word of any God. It's not the word of any spirit. It is the word of Julie Green, who is inciting Americans to violence. It is Julie Green who is calling over and over again for violence in the streets of America. It is Julie Green who is commanding her followers to fight. It is Julie Green who is calling for a civil war. Julie Green is joining with other Christian nationalists to try to provoke an actual bloodbath. Doug Mastriano, the Republican candidate for governor of Pennsylvania, is in turn endorsing Julie Green. He knows of her calls for a violent uprising against the government of the United States of America. He knows what Julie Green is doing. Julie Green is inciting violence against American government and Doug Mastriano who is running to become a governor of Pennsylvania, is standing by her side as she does it. Doug Mastriano is campaigning with a deranged prophet who has called for people to kill other Americans. That's outright treason, even if it is under a very thin, transparent veil of Christian nationalist prophecy. Now, there's a whole lot of news that I wanted to get to this week, and we, we just don't have time. You see how long we've gone on, how long I've gone on. There's a lot to talk about, and it's very urgent. Sarah Palin won uh, the Republican Party primary for the U.S. House And she's done so on a platform that says that the Christian God put crude oil under the ground in Alaska uh, and offshore in Alaska, under the oceans there, and that the Christian God did that because the Christian God wants us to burn as much oil as possible. And we all know the... um, the context of what's happening with the climate. If we pay attention to actual science and not to thousands of years old uh, prophecies from halfway around the world, uh, we know that actually burning fossil fuels is, um, it's putting the planet in danger, not to mention putting toxins in the air that kill huge numbers of people every year. But Sarah Palin with her Christian nationalist campaign, is saying that the Bible wants us to burn lots of oil. So let's go on and do that. Um, There's the congressional candidate, Joe Kent, in the state of Washington, the third district there, who claims to be fighting for the survival of our Judeo-Christian heritage. That's a quote, fighting for the survival of our Judeo-Christian heritage. As if At 60% of the population, Christians are on the verge of being wiped out somehow. It's it's not true, but this is is the Christian nationalist message that Joe Kent is running on. And then down in Texas, there's a story about um, how 
a school district is being forced by a, a Christian nationalist wireless company. Yeah, that's right. A Christian nationalist wireless telephone company. Um, it actually exists. Being forced to um, put up ceremonial deist Christian nationalist messages in public schools. Because in Texas, it is the law that if a private corporation or a religious group or a nonprofit organization provides religious Christian messages, specifically Christian messages, that the schools have to display them. They have no choice, even if the, the parents don't want that to happen. It has to happen. And so now there's a school district, uh, the Carroll Independent School District, that's being forced to do that. And there's so much more that's going on. Uh, there is a huge wave of Christian nationalism that is pushing Christianity, forcing it on everybody, whether they're Christian or not, and forcing a particular kind of Christianity too. Let's not forget that. This is not a metaphorical Christianity. It's not a forgiving Christianity. It's a militant, angry, violent, selfish, greedy, nationalist Christianity. How can we respond to that? And this is the way that I like to close out every episode of this podcast. And, you know, the thing I want us to remember is that the Christian nationalists don't have the numbers to control our government if we remain active. They are less than the majority. 40% of Americans are not Christian at all. Out of the remaining 60%, maybe two-thirds of those Christians are in some regards Christian nationalist, because there's a spectrum. But two-thirds of the remaining Christians are people who believe that America is, yes, in some way, an inherently Christian nation and should remain that way. And that is the root of all violent, radical, extreme, ugly Christian nationalism. That's the, the root belief that supports that ideology, that supports the extremism. But two-thirds of 60% is a minority of the entire population. That's around 40% of the population, maybe, is Christian nationalist. If we turn out to vote, they don't win. Christian nationalists win when the rest of us don't show up. So, I want to remind us to, first of all, show up. And that means not just on an election day. And it means certainly not just in a presidential election year. You got to show up on election day. And yeah, in the midterms, because Congress is at stake. State governments are at stake. And that means a lot. Local governments, too. But here's the other thing I want us to remember. How do we defeat Christian nationalism? We refuse to be like them. And so... 
here's the thing. Christian nationalism is all about saying that there's only one right way to be a human being. You have to be straight. Uh, You have to vote Republican. You have to be a Christian. And you have to be a biblical, literalist Christian. And on a huge number of policies, you have to do it this way. And it all comes down to this monotheistic philosophy that there is one God who is the Lord, who is the king. You don't have two kings. You don't have two lords. You you obey that one. And that's it. And everything else is false. And you obey or you don't obey. And that's it. So you're good or you're evil. That's the Christian nationalist philosophy boiled down right there. And it's why they're so angry. It's why they're so ugly. It's why they're so violent. Because they believe that the rest of us are actually literally in league with demons and other evil spirits and witches and all of that. They're living in a reality that's like a horror movie where there are actual monsters out to get you because there's just one source of goodness in the entire world. And that is the Christian God and no other religion has the right to exist and nobody in their mind has the right to not be religious, to not obey. And we've heard today the voices of Christian nationalists who are saying just that, just that. And they say, they tell us what they're going to do. They say that they're coming. So what do we do? Do we come together and we figure out, here's, here's the one strategy that's going to defeat them? I don't think so. No. We, above all else, must not do that. The monotheistic approach is to say that there is just one way that is good, just one way that is right. And so I think in order to defeat that, we have to honor another way of looking at reality. One that's inspired in a sense by evolution, you know, evolution is not a ladder of primitive life forms on up to humans at the top. That's the way that Christian theology pictures life with humans at the pinnacle and maybe the angels above us. Are they life or are they spirits? I don't know. Anyway, but of of the, the animal things on earth, humans are the lords. It's all very feudal, all very medieval. It's about top-down hierarchies. But that's not the way that the actual biological world works. If you study it, if you care to pay attention to the facts and you observe animals, plants, microorganisms, fungus, fascinating fungus, there's, oh my gosh, there are so many strategies. With every species out there, there's a different strategy for how to get it right, for how to be alive. And, you know, every species out there is getting it right in their own way. Now, I for myself, I would not like to be a banana slug. But, you know, I can't say that they're getting it wrong because they've been pretty successful out there in the Pacific Northwest. They do well, slugs. So who's to say that I'm better than a slug? I wouldn't have the pride to do that. And human beings, 
You know, something special about human beings is that we have more diversity of behavior, of strategies for being alive, and for ideas that inform those strategies and the tactics that we use within them. We have a world of billions of people, and they're using different approaches. You know, if everybody was trying to be like the the person who has the most money, let's say Elon Musk, you know, almost everybody would fail because there is not room in the world for more than one Elon Musk. And boy, I'm not sure that there's even room in the world for him. But putting that aside, if you can't be Elon Musk, you know, don't try to out Musk Musk. Be yourself. That is the alternative to Christian nationalism. It's not to form another great, big, centralized, ideological outlook saying, this is what you have to say to fight Christian nationalism. This is what you have to do to defeat Christian nationalism. Maybe one of the most important things that we can do to defeat Christian nationalism is to refuse the idea that there is just one right way to do things. That is what we are seeking when we are seeking freedom of religion and freedom of speech and freedom of the press, all of of those great First Amendment things. It's what we're seeking when we seek equality under the law. It's not a tool for one group to be on top, to be more powerful than the rest. And so when we are resisting Christian nationalism, we're not trying to squelch Christianity. We're not trying to diminish them. I mean, Christian nationalists are doing a great job at that (laughs) anyway, um, of making Christianity not look very good. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to make people stop being Christians. It's not, as much as Republicans like to use this word, it's not to become communist. I don't know anybody who wants to make the United States communist. I suppose there might be, you know, five, ten people out in some strange place trying to do that. But that's really not what people on the left want. It's not what even people in the middle want. You know, nobody's advocating for that. We're advocating for a country in which we live and let live. And by the way, that's not a Christian message. That's a message that comes from uh, a Dutch merchant association. People who had to learn to get along with each other just to do trade with people across borders, with foreigners, with people who were different than they were. Because that's what you have to do when you're trading. You have to learn to meet people where they are. And so in our activism against Christian nationalism, let's honor our diversity, the diversity of all people who are, for their own individual reasons, standing up to defend democracy from the idea that there is just one way, only one way 
under only one God, one nation under God, the motto that replaced the motto we had before, which was e pluribus unum, that really, yeah, we're a nation, but we're a nation of many people, many different backgrounds. We are many. And, um, you know, it's interesting in Christianity, that's um, uh, ascribed to demonic powers. We are legion. As, a, as if that's darkness. It's not darkness. It's just freedom. It's just freedom. It's just freedom. Freedom to be who you are. And freedom to resist Christian nationalism in your own way. I want to thank you so very, very much for listening. So very much for being who you are. In peace, I hope. Uh, in wellness. And in resistance to Christian nationalism. Stop Christian Nationalism will be back next week because this podcast is going to go on for as long as it takes to subdue this wave of Christian nationalism that is spreading across America. And so that's going to be a long, long struggle, uh, a lengthy effort. We will be back next week discussing in the news what the Christian nationalists are up to and what we can do to stand against them. Thank you. We have a lot to talk about.